Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about the Twilight Zone. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Love love that show. But we're not talking about Rod Serling's series from the, what, 60s? Uh, Today we want to sort of define the Twilight Zone to be the area between when your customer or client or student or whoever's giving you money, your buyer, the zone between when they first pay and when you, when you first deliver something. So, so it's this area where they're kind of like, okay, I paid you, but they're still like, it's the area where buyer's remorse could happen. It's the area where they could be second guessing their purchase. It's that zone and, it, and it's different for time-wise. It's probably different for everybody. It depends on what kind of work you do. And so today we just wanted to do a quick episode about getting points on the board early to kind of help the buyer through that vulnerable position that they're in right after they pay. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, is you might even have sort of a different twilight zone if you have different products. So if you have like a, maybe a course that you teach where people sign up and then they have to wait a certain number of hours or days or weeks, maybe, to get access. And then you might have, you know, one-to-one consulting that has a, a different different zone. Absolutely. That's a great point. In fact, that just may, this might not be a short episode. <laughs> <laughs> because to your point, I have a different onboarding process for people who take the pricing seminar and a different onboarding process for people who buy Our Mailing is Nuts or one of my other books and a different onboarding process for people who buy private coaching. And they're, they're all different because certainly the price point is different in all of them. So the uncertainty and the vulnerability is just completely different. You know, if you only spent 40 bucks versus four figures, it's just going to be a different kind of exposure that the buyer has. But I still do it with all of them. With every single one, there's some sort of I use the word onboarding because it's familiar to people in this software development space. So if you have a SaaS and there's like this onboarding process where they try to get you to productive with the tool as fast as possible. And, and some, some apps like Slack, I think, is amazing at onboarding new users and, you know, other, other SaaS products are perhaps not as amazing. I think sometimes when what we sell is a service, not SaaS, but a, a service. So we're, we're going to deliver something, some kind of consulting. I think there's maybe a feeling that there isn't really an onboarding process, that we don't think about it that way. But I'm going to argue that we should think about it that way. Yes, agreed. Yeah, yeah. It may be a new term to some of the, the audience when they right. think about for their own business. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling pulled to start at the easy end of the spectrum and work our way up to the tougher end, I think. So for someone who buys just like an ebook from me, that's just, you think like, well, how hard could it be? They, they buy it, they download it, whatever. Well, it just so happens that some people are not super familiar with ebooks, or especially if you're not buying it from Amazon, like how do I actually read it? So uh, since I don't sell through Amazon, I sell direct then. So somebody buys a particular book, they get an email from me. It's a thanks for buying email, but FYI, here are uh, these are the different formats. Here's what each different format means. If you're on Android, you can you know it's just some exp- explanation about how to immediately be able to start reading. At one time, I don't know if this, I don't think this is still true, but the download is in a archive is format a zip file. So when you download it, uh, for people who are making the purchase and then receiving it on iOS, there wasn't a great way to unzip 
the thing at the time. So it's kind of like, yeah, this is a drag, but you, probably the easiest thing is to go to your computer, unzip it into a Dropbox and then read it, or you can copy, you know, and just instructions on how to, how to familiarize yourself with it. And then a couple of follow-up emails like, oh, did you have any big takeaways? Or here are some follow-up things that go a little deeper into this or that. Even though they get the book immediately or they get access to the book immediately, it is digital and not everybody is super comfortable with how to do that. So I try try to onboard them and immediately make them feel like they're, not to overstate it, but they're under my care. Like I care that they get it and they read it and they're able to read it. It's not a problem. They're not struggling to just get the stupid thing open on their phone. But, you know, I want to stop you there for a second because I I bet a lot of people listening are going, I need an onboarding process for an ebook. But it's, I think this is really important because I've had this with a downloadable product of mine. Not everybody downloads it right. Or sometimes something in the system breaks and they can't do it. It's, it's having that onboarding process, which, and it sounds like in your case, it's also got some um, pre-scheduled emails that go out at a certain time frame. You're treating that book like a product, like a service, like part of your business. It's not something that's separate. It's one of the things that I really like about self-publishing because I feel like I can take care of my readers in a way that when I've had traditionally published books in the past, like, I don't know who's buying it. I can't help them. There's nothing I can do. I have no clue what's going on or how it's working for them or if they have complaints. I don't even know if they have complaints, never mind being able to respond to them. Yeah. I mean, the best you could do is get an Amazon crappy review, but that's not really helpful. So now here's another example, which is for the pricing seminar, which is, it's a non-trivial purchase price. So I offer like early bird discounts to get, try and maximize the number of people who can get in and afford it. Uh, If you're proactive, you can get a big discount. But what happens is when they do that, they've purchased like two weeks before anything's going to happen, before the course proper starts. So what I do to kind of maintain some momentum and because I want them to hit the ground running when things do start. I don't want that two week period to be like, eh, you know what? I was, eh, probably shouldn't have done that. Or some new bill comes in and they're like, eh, I want that money back. What I do to keep them sort of the early birds engaged throughout that period is there's like a special sequence of warm up videos that they get that come out periodically that they can start to engage with. They can start to meet the other early birds. There's a place for them to go in and kind of uh, be back. It's kind of like they came to the party early. I, I want them to be, first of all, treated extra special. They took action early. They trusted me with their money and all that. I don't want it to just be two weeks of dead. Like, okay, see you in two weeks. Thanks for the, thanks for your credit card. I want them to get special treatment for showing up early to the party and have something for them to do while they're waiting for the, the procrastinators to show up. <laughs> well, and what you're doing there is, is you're creating a tribe of sorts because you're not just connecting them with you. You're connecting them with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. The one that originally I I was thinking of when we were talking about doing this episode was when someone signs up for coaching with me, which is, which is extremely high touch, very interactive, but super intangible. It's like, they don't know what to expect. It doesn't matter how many times they read that, you know, I have a long page that describes everything, the details, the fine print still, it's like. People are like, but what about this? And I'm like, well, let me refer you to this portion of the page. And <laughs> it's almost like I, it's almost like it's too long for anybody to absorb all of it, even if they read it all. So of course they're going to miss things. 
but it's such an intangible thing. It's basically like, you know, a series of asynchronous and synchronous conversations that we have over the course of some period of time, you know, three months, six months, whatever. People who buy almost, almost without exception are like, I trust that this is going to be good, but I really don't know what to expect. No matter how much I read this, I don't know what to expect. So I, I didn't used to do this, but I do it a lot more now and I, I've gotten good feedback on it, which is that I put together an SOP for our first kickoff call, even though I know what to do and I can just run through it and bang it out. What I do is I take a few minutes. First of all, once they pay, there's always like a, there's always like a delay period between when they pay and when our first phone call is. So the first thing I do is get them onboarded into the Slack room so that they can get oriented in there. And I've got all this list of, it's probably a a full page, maybe 30 items of things that I do once somebody pays between then and when they get on the first phone call with me, the kickoff meeting, and that acclimates them to the community of other past coaching students and other current coaching students. So again, there's like a community aspect to it. And there's some things that they need to do to, you know, read the code of conduct and read through the student glossary and introduce yourself and fill out your profile and do, please do put a picture in of your face so people can kind of connect with you and all of these things. So when they show up, even though I'm not winging it, I want it to feel like I'm not winging it. I want it to, to be obvious that they've, they've entered into a defined tried and true process that is that they can depend on. So like, I've got your back. It's like, I've got your back. Don't worry. This is the process. Just do these simple things, move through the process. Then we have our initial call. The first thing I do is I paste in the agenda. Here's the agenda. This is what we're going to go over. First, we're going to do housekeeping. We're going to do any clear up, any initial Q and a you might have. Then we're going to do, you know, share contact information. Then we're going to go over the questions to the questionnaire. Then we're going to drill into those. Then we're going to set up boom, 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 boom. I mean, the structure is unnecessary for me because it's all in my head. But I find that it, I mean, maybe I'm imagining this, but I feel like, and and I don't have anybody who's gone through it with and without, so I'm kind of just guessing, but the responses that I get, I I feel like are more certainty, more, it feels like this very intangible thing is presented in a very tangible way, a very structured way, makes it feel more real. Again, at least that's how I I feel like it, it works. Putting that together, it takes effort, it takes a little bit more time. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it's really important because well, I feel like otherwise... you're setting expectations. Do you know what I mean? Like if you buy something and it feels like a bottomless pit, you lose confidence in the process. Maybe not the person, but the process. You start to question and wonder if yeah, is this really for me? It might not even about be about the money at that point. It might be about the time. Should I have done this? This makes sense. Whereas the way you describe this process, they kind of fall into it and or they're sucked into it, depending on how, you know, how it actually operates. But either way is good, right? Because you're laying out the breadcrumbs for them. I, I would think that would inspire confidence. It would in me as a buyer. Yeah, because I need them to trust the process because I can't lay out the whole like I can I can lay out the idea of what's going to happen, but beyond the initial like two week period, I can't get hyper specific because it's not a course. It's, we're going to go deep on where you are. We're going to go deep on where you want to go. We're going to come up with the objective and we're going to come up with a strategy to achieve that objective. And then we're going to start coming up with tactics and everybody's some things pretty much everybody needs to do, but beyond the first say month, the first couple of phone calls, it's impossible to say where any given person is going to go without I can't have like a curriculum laid out 
like a, like a course, like I do with the pricing seminar because it's too custom for that. So there's a certain point where I need them to trust the process because I can't give them a complete map from New York to LA. I can say, well, we're going to end up in LA. We're in New York. And the, the first three days we're going to, this is the path we're going to go. But then after that, I'm not sure which path we're going to take. So there's a gray area about after Pittsburgh, after Pittsburgh, yeah, (laughs) gray area after Pittsburgh, there's a title. So I need them to trust me, even though I can't give them all the answers on day one, I need them to trust me and trust the process and just do the exercises. Like here's a list of to do's. It couldn't be clear. It's like, do these six things. And it might not be obvious how they're going to fit into the big picture. I'll try and clarify that to the extent that I can, but I need you to just like, like stare at one, do it, do the next one, do the next one. Trust me, trust me, trust me, just do this. And go through it without having the big picture. So I think having that structure at the beginning makes it more likely that they'll be like, okay, there is a process for me to trust. So I can do that. If it just feels like Stark's making stuff up on the fly, then it's like, well, I don't know if this is going to work. Like this seems kind of made up. Well, they're relying on you and your expertise to guide them through this experiential process. I think everybody has their own twilight zone. You may have just one, you may have multiple ones for different products like we're talking about now, but I think that key is to try and put yourself in the shoes of your client to think about what are they going to expect? What can I do to make their experience better? Personally, you know me, I love procedures. (laughs) SOPs are great for this kind of stuff because that way you don't forget anything. And for somebody to see that you've laid some breadcrumbs, it's, it's reinforcing, it builds confidence. I think so. You know, it's like you paid some money. You don't want to just feel like you're doing everything. And especially when in a coaching situation, the person who's being coached really does have to do all the heavy lifting. There's some introspection stuff. There's some make a list of your instructor. There's all these things they have to do. It's like the coach doesn't hit the tennis ball for them. They still have to hit the tennis ball. I think having the, the sort of like, oh, here's the plan. It's like my personal trainer. Like he doesn't lift the weights for me. That would be great, by the way, <laughs> if someone could do that, figure that out on the internet. But he, he can't lift the weights for me. But when I go there, I know I can shut off my frontal cortex or whatever you want to call it of like, I don't have to think. I can just lift the weights. He tells me where to go. tells me what to do. tells me when to stop. That was enough. That, were, that was enough repetitions. The person who has to do the work to get the benefit has to do the work to get the benefit. And I'll sort of say, okay, do this next, do this next, do this next. We both agree that we're going in the same direction. Like, like my personal trainer understands my particular goals. Like I don't want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's not my goal. I have flexibility and, and stamina goals that are different. They're going to be different from person to person. So I trust that he knows that. I trust that he has a plan that's built up to get us closer to that goal. I don't think for a second that he'd be able to say that, okay, for the next year, here's the list of exercises we're going to do because he's going to change it up. But without that little notebook that he keeps, because he keeps a little notebook and he checks off these little things, I'd be like, can you really remember what we did two weeks ago? Because it seems impossible. So him having that little notebook, that little bit of structure, so there's some structure built into it that allows me to kind of trust the process and believe that he's always sending off this vibe, however, however it it comes, that we're going in the right direction. And like this kettlebell is going to get me, get me to uh, this mutually agreed upon destination. I think of it as signposts. 
you know, if we use your example, the signpost might be that you test your flexibility and your stamina. Those are the two measures that you use. But I think the signpost is sort of like the Pittsburgh. We're at Pittsburgh. Okay. So at Pittsburgh, now we're going to pivot and the where we're going to pivot is going to depend on the work that you've done up to that point. It's not a map with a line on it with the route. That's a great, I should actually add that because I don't do that in coaching now, but I could. That's a great idea. So kind of say these are, these are, they're kind of like milestones. It's kind of like people always ask, like, how long should it take for this to work? Like, I don't expect this to work overnight, but how long should I expect? And it's, it's hard to say, of course, because it's going to depend on a million things that are out of my control, but I can say things like, well, it's not going to be faster than two months for sure. It, it could, it could never happen. Like if you totally drop the ball, it'll never happen, but I probably wouldn't have taken you on if I thought that was going to happen. So somewhere between two months and a year, but, but there are certain things that I say, well, you'll know when you're getting traction, that's a great milestone because because once we get traction with like say a positioning statement for a particular product or we've got uh, a minimum viable funnel set up where they're actually like oh look you're getting organic subscriptions to your email list that you just started and you don't even know where they're coming from that's a milestone like okay that's a milestone getting traction on your position statement is a milestone uh, and i could probably come up with four or five other ones that would be great so make a note to myself this is a great episode so far <laughs> i hope you're enjoying it dear listener i know i am <laughs> well, I mean, it's what do you want the client experience to be? I imagine what we all want is we want the client to get the greatest possible value out of the work that we're doing. And we know that there are certain things that we do that have an outsized impact on the client results for most people. I mean, there's always exceptions, but it's so how do you define those for the way that you deliver your product or service and the way that your clients want to experience it. So if your clients were tennis players that are on the road all the time, they might want to experience it differently than somebody who's sitting in an office all day. It's having it be reflective of, you know, your ideal client. Yeah, that's such a great point. It'd be really hard to do that. It's hard enough to do this with really intangible, pure service, you know, uh, high touch one-on-one stuff. If you're just sort of trying to attract anybody and everybody, I imagine it would be virtually impossible to come up with a reliable or predictable. I'm sure there are people who would uh, disagree with that. Maybe they're better coaches than I am, but I think it's fair to say that if you are super focused on a particular kind of buyer an ideal buyer, that it's has to make it simpler. Maybe somebody like Tony Robbins would be like, "Mm, not so much dude, but he seems to boil it all down to, uh, you know, like, which one of your parents loved you more? And it's like, okay, everybody's got parents uh, pretty much. So adding as much structure as you can, especially to the beginning of the engagement when they're still uncertain and not sure about that purchase. And you want them to, you want them to feel your loving arms right away. <laughs> like you can trust me. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Well, maybe we should talk about, about a higher touch scenario because that's what most of my interactions are where so so there's some dialogue that happens with a potential client and then there's a moment where they decide yes I'm going to do this and when they decide yes typically we've had an extended conversation so I know a lot more about them I've told them how the process works you know step one step two 
There's only three steps, so it's not very complicated. And then I've given them something in writing, a proposal. So it's all laid out. And then they decide. And so I send them a link to pay. And they pay half up front and half at the end. What happens, this is just how I look at it, is the moment they pay, I feel like they need to feel like I heard them and that I value them. This is a big deal for them. They're taking typically a couple of months out of their day-to-day to work on something for their business. So I have that email ready to go for the first step. And the first step is their homework, or I call it brand work, but it's all them. That first step after they've paid is all them. They're doing all the work. The beauty of that is that they do feel very engaged in the process because they have something to do. They've committed and they immediately have something to do. So if I can do it, no more than five or 10 minutes pass from the time that they've paid to the time they get an email from me with all the information. It's not something I can automate Uh And I actually don't want to automate it for this particular kind of work because it's very high touch. Then they've got that couple weeks that they'll work on their homework, a couple weeks of elapsed time. And then kind of that's, there's that twilight zone, right? So for me, that first part of it is really simple because they're working. They might have questions and we'd have some interaction. When they're done with that homework and they send it to me, there's a big twilight zone there, if you will, because really I haven't delivered anything except I've given them some some homework, right? That's all they've gotten from me at that point. And now they're sitting there going, okay, I've done this. This was hard work, but it's really good. I feel good about it. Okay, Rochelle, now, now it happens. And I've laid it out before, but I have to lay it out again, of course. And then there's a quiet time because I have to work with the material they've given me. I do some research. I create a draft brand brief. So the next step is for us to have a a two-hour Skype or phone call. But that takes from two to four weeks before that happens. And that two to four weeks is such a dead zone. I keep learning different ways to keep people engaged in that process. Some people, they don't want to hear from me until I've said, okay, here's my calendar for the meeting. Let's go. And they are happy they feel good, they've done the homework. And then I have other people that will check in. And they'll check in maybe after the first week. Typically, they've heard from me after I've you know looked at their homework, and they'll check in. And then we'll have a little email back and forth, and they might check in again. Or what I do is I give them something, right? I'll say, okay, I've been reading X, and I have a question about this. What's your viewpoint on you know, whatever it is I've seen in their homework. So they can feel like they're connected to me, that I haven't just put their work on a shelf somewhere. It's challenging because it's, for me, because it's always like a two to four week period where I'm working on their stuff, but I'm also soaking on it. And I need that soak time. And there's just, sometimes it's really fast, but it isn't always. And so I always, you know, allow that much time. And so the question becomes, what does each person need from me during that period? And I found them to be very different. Have you ever had an experience like that, Jonathan? Oh, yeah. Well, going back more so to my software development days back in the early 2000s, when I was especially working by the hour, because once somebody pulls the trigger on a, a big project, 
an average project was probably 60 grand. So somebody's making a non-trivial purchase. You know, these are small business owners. Um, these are people who are maybe heads of departments inside of bigger companies. It was a fair purchase, fair, you know, and for software and like, and for a project that's going to take a long time. So there's, even after making the decision, there's this sort of twilight zone where they're like, I don't know if that was the right idea. I'm still, you know, I'm still, it's almost like the decision isn't over, even though they paid. And my boss back then to his everlasting credit, because he was great with people, he's like, okay, uh, this is a new client. We're going forward. We want to get points on the board as fast as possible. So we would, we would always find the lowest hanging fruit and try and get them something tested and working as soon as humanly possible, just so they could believe it. So they'd have something to see and it's still digital, but it's like, they can feel it. They could say, Oh, okay, this is how the process will work. They told me how the process is going to work, but now I can feel what the process is like. So for anybody out there who's still billing by the hour, Imagine the feeling of saying, yeah, we'll green light this project that you're estimating will cost 60 grand. You say, okay, great. We'll get started on Monday. And then you don't contact them for two weeks and you, <laughs> and you charge 150 bucks an hour. If you have multiple developers, you could have just gone through the whole budget without telling them one thing. So the, the whole time they're sitting there, you know, they're eating lunch. They're like, is the meter running? How many people are working for it? Like, am I paying like $700 an hour while I'm eating lunch right here? <laughs> It's like the worst possible situation because like Rochelle, you described this, you know, maybe two to four weeks. If they're in a situation like that, if you were billing by the hour for what you do, then you'd have even more questions from the client. Like, how, are you work how much are you working? Are you working? How many hours oh, did you put yeah. in this week? Like, am I, how much am I spending right now? I don't know how much I'm spending right now. It's oh, very, very, oh, I it's a very scary like feeling. It's a very, yeah. very scary feeling. If you've never hired anybody by the hour, you have no idea how scary it is. In a case like that, let's say you are still building by the hour. I think I often say deadlines don't keep projects on track. Communications keep projects on track. So you need to be, if you're building by the hour, you need to be in almost daily, if not, I would say daily contact. Here's what we did today. Here's what we did today. Here's what we did today. And if you need to automate that and have your time tracking system send out alerts, even if you just say, here's how many hours we work today, period is better than nothing. It's a lot better than nothing because they get some sort of a sense of feel uh, and maybe it's an illusion, but they at least have some sense of what the burn rate is and they can get a feel for it. But, but really what you, I think you should do is be in daily at the least every other day. Uh, here's what we're working on. We're going to have a, this next piece is going to be really confusing. We need to kind of hunker down. We're going to brainstorm it a little bit. Uh, you probably won't hear from us tomorrow, but then the day after we'll give you an update on, you know, even if we haven't got it done, we'll let you know where we're at and constantly be setting the expectation of the next time uh, you're going to be in touch. And this is, this is different than what we usually talk about. Like now I'm talking about sort of a long-term hourly project, like a software build or something like that. But it's even worse. Like the twilight zone there is way worse, way, way tougher than the kinds of things that we're talking about. Well, but actually what you just talked about to me is client management or client relationship management. And I just believe we always have to be doing that no matter what the project is. I don't mean every day, but it's that setting that expectation. For me, I have this dead zone of, of two to four weeks and it can be longer. I've had clients do the homework really fast and I can't pick it up yet because I'm finishing something else. So that'll happen too. But you've got that, that period in there that you can manage differently. And they just want to hear from us. 
That's all they want to know. Sometimes it's as simple as, as, hey, just letting you know, working on this, got a couple of questions. I'm going to be getting them to you shortly. And they're fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like now that I have a VA, I I love it. She's just like a little quick little note in Slack. Like things are happening. Things are happening. Things are happening. Because if if you don't, then I'm wondering, right? And like wondering is not what you want to be doing. We don't have time to wonder. That's why we pay people to do things for us. Right. I don't think I've ever had a client say, oh, you're communicating too much. Could you communicate (laughs) with us a little less? Like it's hard to over communicate to a client. It's hard. Yeah. You've tried pretty hard to like annoy a client with over communication. Yeah, it's true. Especially, you know, with email, it's not like we're calling and taking up their time. They can always hit delete if they don't want to read the update. Mm -hmm. It's going to be very different. You know, like we said, different products and different kinds of services, even if they're high touch, there's still going to be all sorts of unique differences. But I mean, if there's a takeaway here, I I would say that it's, it's to figure out how to to set up like what are your opportunities to communicate feedback to the client and to to use my my friend Chris's term, get points on the board, make them feel like there's a structure, make them feel like they made a good decision. This professional is taking care of them in this particular way and it's all going to be okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know what just struck me is this Twilight Zone concept applies to pre-sale things as well. I mean, something as simple as what happens when they get on your list and you may not want to manage it in as high touch a way as some other things, but it absolutely impacts. I mean, I look at my list and there, are, I find the pattern I have is people come on and they either get off in like a couple of weeks. This is my traditional one once a week email, or they stay on. I think I mentioned recently as one gentleman I've just started working with who read my stuff for nine years. You know, so I have a lot of people that have been on there at least since 2010 and 2011 once they're in, they stay for a long time, but they'll get out really quickly. So it's like you only have, at least in my experience, I only have a couple of weeks to either pull them in with with the content and the information and the experience or they're gone. Mm-hmm. To me, giving me your email address is a payment of sorts. You're trusting me with access to your inbox, which is intimate is a little bit strong, but it's a pretty personal place. It's like a, a spot where the whole world can send you to do's essentially. And it's a, typically a, a war zone for everybody. And to get permission to, you know, sort of be invited into this person's house. I've, I, I feel like I'm getting, I've got invited to a dinner party and I want to make a really good first impression while I'm there. You know, it's, they've taken a risk in a sense. And you could say, well, it's not really a risk. It's like, it's the same kind of risk as like putting out your hand for a handshake and like, you're taking a risk. They could snub you. Is that going to kill you? No, but it's a very small risk. And it's the same thing with giving me your email. And I want to be mindful of the fact that like, I appreciate that. And I'm mindful that it is a tiny risk that someone is taking. They're trusting me a little bit. And I want to make sure that their initial experience is as good as it can possibly be. So when somebody does sign up for the, for my list, they go through, so just like the other, they go through this onboarding process where they get the sort of, the, I don't want to say the ground rules, but the context of what's going on here, what they can expect to get out of it by reading each email, uh, that the emails will always be short and I believe will be positive ROI for the time it takes to read them, so on and so forth. So a little bit of context setting. And then like 10 articles that are, sort of greatest hits of themes that we talk about all the time. 
before they get thrown into the everyday broadcast stuff, which if they jumped straight into would probably be very out of left field and would lack a lot of context and might might not make 100% uh, sense to somebody to just get hit with cold. Yeah, and, depending on where yeah. they come in. All right. And at any given, I think right now I have about a thousand people in that onboarding sequence from the, the moment they sign up through this, like, I don't know, it's probably it takes a total of 25 days, almost a month before they end up on the actual live list. And it's, you know, it's like, wow, it'd be tempting to like, oh, today's email is going to be awesome. It's kind of tempting to send it to the people that haven't gone through the onboarding <laughs> yet. But, but uh, you know, they're just going to miss it and they'll get the one that they get when they get it. Yeah. Well, it goes back to it's the client experience and whether it's sort of pre-client or client or even, you know, the opposite end when somebody isn't a client anymore. Presuming it didn't like explode into into dust. Kind of how do you stay in touch with those people that you're not serving now, but but you might in the future, or you know you just want to keep them in your tribe. That's something I've been thinking about lately. That's an area of improvement that I could focus on for myself is like follow ups with past students and that sort of thing. Starting a community, I have one, and it is fairly well engaged, but it's a small group of people that stay really engaged, probably ten percent, and I could probably do a lot to to re-engage people who maybe because of the the scenario, I, pr- I haven't done a great job probably making them feel like, no, it's fine for you to, you're not paying me any more, but you're still entitled to participate in this community. I, I probably don't remind them of that enough. That'd be, that'd be a good thing to do. You'd go back and be like, Hey everybody, just FYI, it's totally fine if you log back in here because you're, you're not taking advantage of anything. That's like the way it's set up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So idea. if we covered the whole spectrum? Yeah, I think so. It's kind of like uh, the twilight zone at the beginning and then like it's kind of cyclical. Especially as you add new products and services or maybe rotate some out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Cool. Say, say the twilight oh, cool. zone again, Jonathan. Ooh. <laughs> A journey of time and space. Not only of time and space, but of mind. Wow. I can't, I can't remember it. Oh, no. It sounded good from this end. <laughs> well, cool. If you haven't checked out The Twilight Zone, go back and check it out. Or Black Mirror. That's kind of the new one. Oh, I love The Twilight Zone. It's so love good. It. Cool. Cool. All right, folks. That's it for this week. That's your your uh, TV land episode for the week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hope you join us again next time for The Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>